Hey listeners, this is Stephanie. And before we begin with this episode, I wanted to update you on a change to All Town USA. Shannon, my fearless co-producer, moved to Vermont in August following a wonderful new job opportunity. However, she is and will always be very much a part of this podcast, supporting and consulting with me. All it means is that now you're stuck listening to my voice more often. And now, on to episode four. By now, you probably can't think of Alton without thinking of its fascinating and diverse history. From the terrifying legend of the man-eating Piasa bird, more on that later, to Lovejoy, Lincoln, the Underground Railroad, and the world's tallest man, Alton has it all. But how has Alton remembered and celebrated its history? And where has it maybe fallen a bit short? In this episode, we'll take a look at some of the districts, buildings, and sites in Alton that have been recognized as historic landmarks, what that process is, and quite frankly, why it even matters. Throughout this episode, you'll hear from a number of people who may disagree at times as to whether Alton is doing enough to preserve its history. But what they do all agree on is how important preserving our history is for our cities and for our communities. This is Stephanie. Welcome to All Town USA. debate between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas and the birthplace of jazz legend Miles Davis, historic downtown Alton is the perfect place to visit. With its rich history, spectacular outdoors, and charming and active downtown, Alton, Illinois is your perfect destination to unwind, learn, and explore. That was a combination of two video promos put out by the Great Rivers and Routes Tourism Bureau specifically targeting viewers from the UK, hence the accent, and Canada. They have a number of videos on their site, highlighting local businesses, historical sites, and nearby towns as a way to bring in tourism. And from watching some of their videos, it's clear that they get it. People like history. So it's no wonder that a town like Alton, which has such a unique and essential history, has found a number of ways to protect and share that history. So let's back up a bit and take a look at when saving and recognizing historic sites started. For that, we have to go back more than 150 years and talk about a man we have discussed several times already on this podcast, Abraham Lincoln. In 1864, President Lincoln signed the Yosemite Grant Act, aimed at preserving parts of what is now Yosemite National Park. This was an important first step to the formation of our national park system. Then, in 1916, the National Park Service was created. By uh, the 60s, 1960s, uh, 1966, in fact, uh, there was a recognition that uh, it wasn't just uh, uh, natural spots that needed to be saved, that there were historic spots that were uh, architectural or uh, built structures that also needed to be saved for different reasons, historic reasons. Um, And that was the beginning of the National Register of Historic Places. That is Terry Sharp president of the Alton Area Landmarks Association, 
or AALA for short. Um, and they were concerned with uh, uh, buildings, historic buildings, places that uh, famous people may have were born in or raised in. And then it also included, uh, you know, they had an Antiquities Act that, in, you know, national uh, monuments and different uh, places that had historic significance that they need to be saved. At least that they were being recognized as uh, important enough to be put on the National Register. Um, it included uh, individual buildings, but it also could include a, a whole, an area, like a historic district. And that, and that brings us back to Alton, which, remarkable for a town of its size, actually has three historic districts. But more on that later. Terry goes on to explain the different levels of designations. Um, Alton has three districts, plus we have individual buildings also. The, uh, the building that has the highest designation is the Lyman Trumbull House at 1105 Henry Street. If you recall, Lyman Trumbull was an Illinois senator who co-authored the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery. Uh, that's, got, that's a national historic landmark. That's kind of the highest de- designation. According to the National Park Service website, national historic landmarks are historic places that hold national significance. The Secretary of the Interior designates these places as exceptional because of their abilities to illustrate U.S. heritage. There are a little more than 2,500 of these landmarks in the U.S. The Trumbull House was designated back in 1975. It is a beautiful house that I personally have admired for years. So you can imagine my excitement when Shannon arranged for us to meet with and interview its owner, Erica Swagler, in the home. And it did not disappoint. Erica and her husband have done a wonderful job maintaining the integrity of the house while making it comfortable and inviting. Admittingly, Erica told us that maintaining such an old home is not cheap. The house was built almost 170 years ago. So we asked her why she does it. I grew up in old houses and... Uh, My mom especially instilled a love and an appreciation for older homes. And really, her focus and my parents' focus was preservation. And that's really what I'm passionate about. Because a lot of what I experience here in town and other towns is that, um, you know, many people love old houses, but they don't always know how to preserve, or even what that word means, um, especially if you're replacing windows with, you know, synthetic materials. And But just trying to preserve as much of the original fabric of the house, so plaster walls and wood windows and wood floors. Um, not everything is original, like this house isn't, you know, not everything is from the 1830s, but um, we try to keep as much as we can. Most national historic landmarks are museums or statues and monuments. So Erica knows that her and her family's situation is special. And I think that that's the unique thing. I hope it's a unique thing, is that we're living in a national historic landmark um, and we're using it and we're really living in it. You know, we have our old couches and um, we share it with our cats and... When we have birthday parties, you know, we just set up tables and enjoy the space. We're just living life here. Um, It's not a museum. For right now, we're living in it as a family. So as Terry mentioned, the Trumbull House has the highest designation in Alton. Then the next 
group is called the National Register of Historic Places, and those can be individual houses, or they can be the historic districts, or uh, even like an archaeological site, which is uh, what the uh, prison was. Remember the prison from episode one? That's what Terry's referring to. According to their website, the National Register of Historic Places is part of a national program to coordinate and support public and private efforts to identify, evaluate, and protect America's historic and archaeological resources. Which brings us to Alton's three historic districts, Middletown, Upper Alton, and Christian Hill. Middletown, possibly the most visited, was the center of wealth in Alton's early days, and the homes of Middletown definitely represent that. Located near and including parts of downtown, Middletown consists of 650 homes, including the Lyman Trumbull House. The Upper Alton District is much smaller, consisting of only 75 homes. Upper Alton actually used to be a separate town of Alton. It housed several academic institutions, including the famous Western Military Academy, which produced famous graduates such as William Paley, the president and founder of CBS, and Paul Tibbetts Jr., the pilot of the Enola Gay, which dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan. And finally, Christian Hill consists of over 250 buildings, most of which sit on the bluffs overlooking the Mississippi River. One of the buildings that is part of this district is the beautiful Hainer Memorial Library, which is a great resource for researching Alton history. There we met Lacey McDonald. And I'm the genealogy and local history manager here. Who told us what they at the library are doing to help maintain Alton's history. So we have property files on a lot of local houses and businesses, buildings, and so we try to maintain those so that if somebody comes in and has questions, especially about a historic building, that we can provide them with everything that we have, and that can help. Even with things like uh, with, when a person buys a historic home and wants to try to figure out how to restore it back to the way that it was originally. So I don't think there have been any times when like I've been involved in trying to save a specific house. We more document that kind of thing. So when we get the uh, the meeting minutes from the uh, city council meetings and one of my staff members, Pam, will go through and look at any houses that are going to be torn down and then we'll make sure that somebody goes out and gets a photograph of that before it happens so that we at least have a record of how that area has changed and what used to be there. So Lacey brings us to our next question. Can buildings designated as historic be torn down? The answer is no, but sometimes yes. Basically, it's complicated. To help, I reached out to Doug Bader, the chair of the Alton Historical Commission. The commission is comprised of seven volunteer members. Their mission, to put it simply, is to help preserve and protect areas, districts, and buildings that have historical value to Alton. One of the biggest ways they do this is by supporting and educating historic district home and business owners on how to make improvements and or changes to their structures. But the biggest part of our work is homeowners, uh, people who want to uh, make changes, do new construction, if they wanted to tear down a building, um, and that has to all get approved by the commission. And why do they need to approve it? Because of something called the Historic Preservation Ordinance, which was designed to help save historic buildings. Most people think that if a building has a national historic listing, it's then protected from demolition. But that's not exactly the case. You have the national historic designation, which gives you access to uh, redevelopment money. It gives you access to tax credits. 
but there is no there is no protection for buildings that are generally on the National Register from being demolished, uh, something that's not well known. So it really is sort of, when you're just simply on the National Register, it's sort of an honorary listing. But you do have access to historic tax credits. What we did is, um, when the Historical Preservation Ordinance got passed, what we did was we adopted all of the National Register historic districts as areas to be protected. So back when the ordinance was adopted, if you were a separately listed on the National Register or in one of the three National Register districts, then the Historic Preservation Ordinance protected your building um, in the sense that uh, you couldn't just go tear it down. Uh, you had to get permission. If you wanted to make modifications or additions to it, you had to get permission from the Historic Commission. So for instance, if Alton's Historic Preservation Ordinance did not exist, the Lyman Trumbull House could potentially be torn down, even though it is a National Historic Landmark and sits within a National Register of Historic Places district. I asked both Terry and Doug what incentives there were for either being part of an historic district or having an individual building be on the National Register of Historic Places. And the answer was unanimous. Tax credits. What's extremely exciting for Alton is that just a few months ago, the state of Illinois passed a state historic tax credit. Doug explains what it means. And that is a really, really big deal. It's It's got the potential um, for uh, helping out some, some projects. To put it in a little bit of context, there are federal historic tax credits which allow you to get 20%, and then the state historic tax credits are 25%. What that means is that if you have a building and you go spend $100,000, that between those two, you would get $45,000 in tax credits and that's dollar for dollar. So essentially, the state and the federal government are subsidizing your project by 45%. Uh, so it is a tool now that, that is available that was not there before. And this is only, it can only be applied for buildings that are, either have a separate listing on the National Register or that are within the three historic districts. He's right, it is a big deal. Both Terry and Doug mentioned that Missouri has had a similar historic tax credit for the past 20 years or more and have been extremely successful in utilizing it. So that bodes well for Illinois and Alton. However, the one downside is that the limit for the entire state of Illinois is $15 million a year, as opposed to Missouri's $90 million, which Doug explains. Next year, starting January 1st, the limit in Illinois is going to be $15 million which tells you that that's not very much money. Given the size of the state of Illinois, if we were doing what Missouri did, you would probably have to have it funded to the tune of 200 million or a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, so one of the things I think that, um, I mean, it's great that Illinois has actually created the program. There's $15 million a year that's um, eligible um, uh, and there's an application process, uh, but I think it'll be great if in the future that that number can, can grow, and, and it's something I think um, we need to um, work on state legislators uh, for. And besides tax credits, 
The other big incentive, especially for the city of Alton and having so many historic listings, is tourism. Remember our UK and Canadian friends from the beginning of the episode? So we have three historic districts and a number of other sites and homes that are protected by the Historic Preservation Ordinance. But what about historic buildings that aren't in a protected district or aren't on the National Register? Here again is Doug. We have the ability to have city landmarks in which you make application to our commission. And what you get from that is you get protection from the building from being demolished, but you do not get um, access to the historic tax credits. So in other words, anyone who thinks that a building or site in Alton should be recognized as an historic city landmark can apply before the historic commission. If it gets approved, that landmark will then be protected from demolition. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, unfortunately, it's not always that simple. Because in the end, it all comes down to one thing. You guessed it, money. The big problem is the budget of the Historic Commission is um, zero dollars. We, we, we have no budget. If someone wants to apply for a city landmark, the commission can help them understand the process. But in the end, it's up to the individual or individuals applying to come up with the money. And as we heard from Erica, it takes a lot of time, energy, and money to maintain an older building. Doug expressed to me several times throughout our interview that the Historical Commission is more than happy to meet with people who have ideas, questions, or concerns. But to me, it's clear that in the end, because they don't have a budget, their hands are tied in a lot of cases. We've been asking that question since 71. Why tear these things down? And it all comes down to the same, same answer. Money, time, energy, know-how. Few people know how to deal with the, affordably, how to deal with the old timbers, the old masonry. They just don't make these things like this anymore. It's too expensive to keep them up, too expensive to repair. And so then it, the paint fades, the dust accumulates, people start moving away, people die, and pretty soon the significance of the building is forgotten. And you go to work one day and you come back and there's a nice little empty spot with some hay and some new grass growing up. And you're like, isn't there a building here just a moment ago? Constantly. That was Brian Combs, president of the Alton Museum of History and Art. We asked him what ideas he had that could help save and preserve some of these buildings. Round up those volunteers, put people back to work, doing working on the infrastructure. And of course, you know, uh, I'm not going to get in state politics, but it's all going to come down to the same thing. You know, it's all going to be, well, we don't have the money, but you've got two hands. Put them to use. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to this generation, is we use a lack of money as an excuse not to get anything done. So what happens when we get our history wrong? Is it okay to embellish history if it helps bring in money and notoriety? The Piasa bird is a great example of this. When discussing Alton history, I would argue that the name Piasa bird is just as well-known, if not more well-known, than Elijah Lovejoy. The story, as told today, is that the bird is a Native American legend that depicted a creature that was as large as a calf with horns like a deer, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's, a face like a man, the body covered with green, red, and black scales, and a tail so long it passed around the body, over the head and between the legs. And the name Piasa means a bird that devours men, because that's what it did. 
Or did it? Remember John Dunphy, owner of the second reading shop in downtown Alton? Here's what he has to say. That's, that's pseudo-Native American. The pictographs were real, but the story of a bird carrying off hapless Native Americans and devouring that's that's a romance created by a 19th century white writer named John Russell who taught uh, at Shirtliff College in the 19th century. So It's acquired a life of its own. People in the know are aware that it isn't true, but um, it's part of the legacy and heritage of the area. The fact that it has no factual basis whatsoever, it's like... <laughs> well, gee, neither does Santa Claus, but that doesn't kill the Christmas season. <laughs> it's acquired a life of its own. And here's how Corey Davenport, lead reporter at Riverbend.com, sees it. Oh, they painted something vastly different than that. Vastly different. Vastly different. They painted a water panther. It was two dragons fighting, actually, and it was between Alton and Grafton. But then in the 1920s, they decided, well, it's a bird now. Because, you know, in 1837, they blew up the original Piasaw to build a railroad between Alton and Grafton or something. Well, anyway, they blew it up, and uh, they totally erased it. And then they replaced it with something that was just, you know, a white people mascot for a crazy river town. And it brings in tourists, sells postcards, and the Piasaw bird is kind of a, a logo identifying the area. The reason I'm bringing up the Piasaw bird is not because I disagree with how it has changed over the years, or whether we might be telling the story incorrectly, but rather to show how if we do knock buildings down or blow up a side of a cliff, erasing what was there before, it's possible we will eventually forget our past. When we don't preserve it, we run the risk of it being changed or altered or even forgotten. You know, it just, it, it's who we are. And when you lose the connection with the past, uh, it's a terrible thing. I agree with Doug. And I also think it's important to note that remembering our history isn't just about preserving our buildings, but it's also about remembering the people who came before us and the people who helped make the cities that we live in. The real, the, the, the real stories out there are with the people. There are champions out there from the past to the present. This is Joshua Young, local Alton social advocate and activist. There are so many unknown and unsung about heroes and families, you know, especially within the minority demographic that are untold, you know. Those are the things that I try and bring to, to Alton's forefront, you know. It will make our city together, it will make it a stronger city, it will give it a, a, a richness in its diversity, truth in its history, and that's pretty much what I'm here to kind of tackle. And here again is Corey Davenport who, you may remember, has been writing numerous articles on African-Americans from Alton to help share their stories. Yeah, like um, one of the people I wrote about, Joseph Raglan. Um, I mean, we have a giant statue to Robert Wadlow, and I mean, no offense to Wadlow, all he really did was grow really tall. I mean, that that's kind of cool. But like Joseph Raglan laid, what was it, like 56 bricks a minute for an hour in East St. Louis under one of those uh, New Deal progressive platforms? Guinness Book World Record Center. Yeah. He's still in the world record book. I mean, no one's laid bricks faster than that guy. And why don't we have something to celebrate that, man? I was saddened that the first time I heard of him was whenever I was writing the series. And I'm like, well, I thought Robert Wildo was our record holder. No. No, this guy actually trained himself and, and just did it. And As Corey was saying, Alden has got such a, a, a rich history. It's something that could be showcased and with it being the city with the largest demographic of minorities within Madison County, 
You know, we showcase change. We showcase, you know, equity, harmony. It changes Medicine County. It influences St. Clair County. And even it, St. Louis. It'll show Cook that we have the example. We have the answer. And I do believe that the answer is in, you know, re-strengthening the families, you know, and getting these stories out. The, the, the community, the, the, the minority black community here is such a small community that the champion families that he's writing about, the ones that he has yet to write about, that we have yet to bring out, those families are still here, you know. By showcasing and bringing about that type of thing, you know, I think that adds a bit of pride to Alton that it changes the empirical value. And so, that's what I'm going to attempt to do in our next episode. Highlight and share some of these stories that have gone untold for years. And I'm going to start by focusing on the Alton neighborhood known as Mexico, a community that despite the loss of its historic buildings, is still working hard to keep its past alive. I've spent some time there these past few weeks, interviewing some of its elders and getting to know its history. I have so enjoyed getting to know the people I have interviewed, and in return, they're so excited to be able to share with you who they are, what Mexico looked like when they were children, how it has evolved, and where they would like to go from here. And by doing so, hopefully we'll break down some stereotypes and assumptions. Mexico is part of the heart of Alton, our history. But I want not just my family, but I want all the families in Alton to know, let's tell our story. And having it documented to me is so important. This episode of All Town USA was written, produced, and edited by Stephanie Young. Theme music by Will and Janet Buchanan. Special thank you to Doug Bader, Brian Combs, Corey Davenport, John Dunphy, Lacey McDonald, Terry Sharp, Erica Swagler, Joshua Young, and the Great Rivers and Routes Tourism Bureau. 